Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking to Brandon Harris about. Uh, yeah, I think he's working on a VTT. Uh, and uh, we got in contact with each other and we just want to ask him a few questions about why he's entering in this market and why his stuff is different. But first, uh, I always like asking a question about. Uh, obviously, you are a gamer of some sorts to get involved in doing BTT work. And so what got you into the gaming hobby? What was your first introduction? Uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to give you a quick. Um, my name is Brandon. Right. Um, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to turn the big 5-0 this year, which is a very scary concept to me. Um, and, and, and really, that's a big part of, of what I'm doing. Um, I got into gaming, I guess, I think I was like 10. I, it couldn't have been that. I, I, it was younger than that. It was like 1980. So uh, what had happened was uh, I had I had seen it. Some of my older friends, my, my, my friend's brothers played it. Right. And I thought it was kind of cool because, because I was in this space where I was starting to understand that there was um, a system to the world. There were rules, but I didn't understand those rules. They, they, they were completely opaque to me because the, the adults that supposedly said that there were rules did not follow the rules or they changed the rules or the, the world just did not make any sense because there were a bunch of rich old white guys who were planning to blow each other up with nuclear missiles all the time. I didn't understand that. And, and so I went through some, I had some problems. I, I'm not, you know, I, I had some, some, some struggles and, and I, I guess you could basically say I was, I was, uh, Nobody diagnosed me with it, but I was I was clearly uh, chemically depressed or something along those lines. And um, then my mother, uh, for some reason, decided to buy me the red box uh, because she'd heard me talking about it. And then um, ever since then, uh, that was the thing that sort of I needed to help put my you know put myself in a position where where my my brain could start to understand that the world had a meaning. But not only that, I could take agency in in worlds that I created, and so it was this this thing that I was able to like take my energy and, and push it into, and then it just has stayed with me the entire the entire life. Because because when I think of anything weird or dumb or or crazy, I can just put it in a game, and then it all works out. <laughs> right. Wow, that, that's pretty introspective for a, a young person. I mean. I think for the most part, uh, I've told a story on on our podcast. <laughs> I got introduced to my older brother, and I and I remember the the Hobbit being on TV, and I missed it because I ended up being sick and going to the hospital for whatever reasons. And then, and then I missed it. And back then, when you missed television, you know you couldn't record. I mean, there was no recording, there was no VCRs, and you had a hope <laughs> that it would come back maybe in a year if you missed an episode of something. So I didn't get to see it, but I was very interested in The Hobbit. And then my brother was talking about Dungeons and Dragons at his high school. And he's five years older than me, so I was still in, in grammar school. And he's talking about it. I'm like, I want to play. And he goes, no, I, I don't have the rules and this and that. But for me, it was just something fun and, and something fantasy, uh, fanciful, right? Yeah, it was a lot of a lot of enjoyment in, in this understanding that there was this thing that I could, that I could get involved in. And, and, you know, again, Tolkien is definitely a big part of that. It was about that, that time that my grandmother bought me the this nice four four book box set of the you know the the big four, and then I later found a copy of the Silmarillion in the exact same style, which was really nice. And yeah, fantasy, all that stuff. Right, it's like a little escapism. But I didn't have to be this little kid in West Virginia. West Virginia. Yeah. How how was that oh, growing yeah. up in West Virginia? I have no idea. I've never been there. Um, well, first of, I mean, it's it's a beautiful territory. It is, uh, you know, it's a rainforest, so it's very lush and very hot. It gets very, very hot in the summer. 107 degrees and 100% humidity is very common. But you know, I did not fit in there. Okay. I guess, for lack of a better phrase, uh, I uh, it, the opportunities that I needed were out west, and I'm very much like a Tolkien elf. I keep going further and further <laughs> west. Um, that is my that is my journey. Uh, Cool. So were you mainly a, mainly a, a GM or did you play a lot? I mean, because usually you fall into one well, camp or the other. Well, I started as a player right? because because the the, the, the the um I didn't know how to run a game. Right. And and when I did end up playing, it was like my friends' older brothers who were the the GMs. 
but it was not long. Like, I don't think it was longer than a month before I was running my own game because we wanted to play several of us in the neighborhood. And then the guy that was doing the GMing, he just was never around. So we started like, well, we're going to play our own thing, you know, right now I'll run it. And, and um, I know what he was doing. It, it can't be that hard. And, um, and so, so that's, that's how it happened. And then I ended up always being the guy who ran everything because, well, nobody else was going to do it. Um, that's, that's the way it usually happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so, so you kept playing after, during grammar school and during high school and all that. I've never stopped. So, well, how, so uh, me and my friends from high school, uh, we kept it kind of hidden that we played Dungeons and Dragons. Was it the same way with you, yeah. or were you out and proud of um, uh, your game playing? So, so that 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 again comes into a lot of like like you know who I am and where I was. Is uh, at some point in high school, you know, you realize that either you're going to be a cool kid or you're not going to be a cool kid, and if you're not going to be a cool kid, the question is whether or not you're going to get picked on. Right. And I very early on was effectively rejected by the cool kids for whatever reason I don't, it doesn't matter you know i liked comic books one day and the wrong person saw it and they decided they were going to use that as the excuse or whatever anyway by the time we were out of high school we were very open about it okay. what we played we were actually playing warhammer uh, frp right. all through high school oh, like wow. almost every day too. it was like we would get out of school and go home we go to my house down in my basement and then you know some days there dad would bring home a pizza for us and wow. we'd be playing down there for three hours a day every day how was your how was how did your parents view you playing i mean some people uh don't like it like parents don't like it and some people get hassled and other people they're like oh i like for me my parents knew we were in the kitchen playing till three o'clock in the morning but they knew we were home right and it wasn't like well they've been yeah, out yeah. since two o'clock and we have no like, clue yeah i think that i think that that part of it they actually really like uh, but they, they, you know, we, I was learning all this during the satanic panic, right? The, you know, the 1980s, right? Yeah. You know, Tom Hanks is going to go get killed by the devil, <laughs> play D and D. The thing was, my mom and my, they were, they raised me Christian, or they, they tried, right? Um, did not succeed in the long run, but, um, but, but they, they had these values, uh, but they were Presbyterian, and so they, they thought a lot about it. It was a very intellectual kind of side of the faith, whereas, uh, you know. My father's side of the family was very Baptist, and so they, they had much different opinions. Right. So my grandmother hated it. Right. Uh, but my mother and my father didn't really care. And my well, my mom's mom didn't care either. I think right. they were just happy that it was an activity. Yeah. Um, and they just didn't understand it. I mean, to them, it was no different than a video game. For me, um, my my brother got Gamma World in I guess it was what 1982, 1983. Yeah, and we yeah. played with the pastor's son, so we lived through the whole satanic panic thing too. But it was totally different because, and we lived in this little town in the mountains in California, and they're mm. very conservative. But yeah, that's very the conservative. the pastor's son goes, I want to play this. I have this D and D book, and so we played at his house, and so we were everybody was like. Nobody said anything to us, <laughs> so it was pretty funny. Mm -hmm. Was it kind of Can I hidden? Ask what mountain town? Because I, I know a lot of them. Quincy. Quincy. Yeah, it was no, funny. Not spending time there, but yeah. <laughs> she, she, uh, it was very conservative because at one point, uh, when we were already, when you know we were older, and I knew her, we went to a funeral there, and everybody was very. I mean, the whole town went to the church, right? It was like really yeah, strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like Salinas was a bigger town, so there was like parts of town you didn't have to go through or or be in. It was very, I wouldn't say segregated, but it had parts of town. And so I lived on the, in a little country western part of the town, and and it was very removed from from the city of Salinas. We actually we lived in a in a uh, I forget what they call it, but we didn't have any sidewalks and stuff. So we were yeah. our own little community out there. And so uh, there wasn't much to do. I mean, there was just, there was go break yeah. windows and, and stuff. And, and uh, for me, it was. Bike over to your house yeah. yeah. Some dice. <laughs> yes. That's pretty much all we did. Yeah. Explore cool. the backwoods. You said you started getting into a Warhammer Fantasy role playing game? One of my friends, he had, well, they had a lot of money. Like, like I had a friend, he was very rich. Okay. And because of that, he had everything. And, and one of those <laughs> things was, is, is, is and anybody who's ever really got in, I, I never did because I just couldn't find the time or the, or the money, but like painting the minis oh, and yeah. stuff is like a big deal. And you need to have some serious cake to like, <laughs> you know, get into that part of the hobby. So anyway, he was really into it. 
And um, but but then when we would play the game, like he would want to play like the actual miniature things, but we we didn't want to do that. We wanted to like play more role play type stuff. So we you know we found the Warhammer 40k, uh, not 40k, but Warhammer Fantasy role play. Right. And fell in love with that because that that was just like I think more the style of, of storytelling that we were trying to tell. We didn't cool. really want to do the like Greyhawk kind of thing. Right. You know, I was really into this sort of old world German gothic horror yeah 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 definitely definitely <laughs> that, that, that was what we were really into there has a a, a grittier world to play in yeah 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 i mean just the fact that it's a skaven exists <laughs> it's just kind of like a, a thing yeah right and then later later over time like my crew uh my gaming crew we've been together the current one has been together on and off for, not on and off but like has been with different membership for about 25 years we've been our our, our go-to now is warhammer 40k um, which is just the grimmest of the grimmest of the grimmest games. Oh, yeah, yeah. Play. You're talking about the the role-playing yeah. game. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the various role-playing games, all the ones that came out from FFG about 10 years ago. Right, right. Uh, cool, cool. Yeah, th- those are fascinating. There's a ton of lore. There's a there's a ton of books about that stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, you can really dig into that. Well, one. the best part about it is is that if there's a piece of lore that I disagree with, I just ignore it. And then when everybody goes like, yeah, but it's like this, I'm like, yeah, but in Warhammer 40K, everything is true and nothing is true. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It's so big that it can have simultaneously be true and false at the same time. Right, right. (laughs) Kind of scary. This is like that group, that crew is pretty much why I created, why, well, the pandemic is why we created, why I created Dice Week was because... That there was a bunch of things going on in our lives and everything, but when the you know we had a weekly game, and and it was a big part of our social life, it was a big part of everybody's you know interactions with everybody because it, you you develop a family, and um and and when the pandemic hit, we were like, well, we're not going to meet for a while, you know, let's try and do this online, and then we found a bunch of different um sites, you know, and we you know. The individuals got tasked with different things. Go see how well this one works. Go see how well this one works because I couldn't do it. And um, and we tried a bunch of things. Now I I had always been writing like little tools because that's that's what I do. That's my craft. I'm a, I'm a wizard. I, I would build like little tools. Here's a thing to build maps because I, I love making maps. And so I would write write software that you could use to zoom in and scroll around and, and pan like really large map software for, for, for games so that my players could use that or I, I could project it. Or we build like uh, quest trackers because sometimes players forget where they are. So let's take a look at this, you know, or here's a wiki that, you know, I, I'd spin up a, a, a wiki and then write my own extensions for it so that, you know, you could do these things. And then when the, when the pandemic hit though, it became like a different conversation. So it was like no longer was I printing out maps. No longer were we were we you know making little minis. We had to come up with different things. And we tried we tried all uh, several different solutions, several different organizations um, and companies and, and, and pieces of software. And and we found that none of them really met the kind of play style that we had, or the parts of it that did meet that were we felt very clunky, or extremely difficult to operate, or you know, in some way or another insufficient for what we, what we wanted to do. And, you know, I had one of these moments, which I tend to have from time to time, like, well, wait a minute, I could write one of these. I can do it. Okay. Now I wish I could go back in time and, and meet that kid at, who was like two years ago, or I guess, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, be like, oh, you don't know how difficult this is going to be. <laughs> but turns out I just did it. And, and that's where we are. It started by taking a bunch of disparate little tools that I had and sort of stitching them together. And, you know, 90% of software development is, is often just the same 4,000 lines of code just in a different package and other coders won't understand what I mean by that but like a login screen is a login screen and <laughs> back-end server is a back-end server and so so it's just like a lot of it is just you know put together a whole bunch of stuff and and then it's just applying you know style and thought process and intentional design and that and that's what I do I do intentional design about things and then I build them Wow, and, and so I've been doing that for forever. You said you were playing, so you were. Where were you? You were all actually playing together in person already mm-hmm. when this happened. Uh, right? Yeah, and, yeah, when this happened, and then actually the, a great thing was, and this is one of the things like that was like a, a part of the the epiphany, at least for me, was that once we'd done that, uh, several people who had moved away for whatever reason um, were able to join again. Right. Um, because we now moved in online. And so that was this, 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 this amazing moment for a lot, for, for, for several of us, 
She's like, oh my God, like my friend who's moved to Australia 10 years ago, now he's back into our game. <laughs> um, and, and, and we get to see it. So, so this, this reinvigoration of a lot of our friendships was, was really, really powerful. It was a really big part of it. Plus it was really free. We've lived in the Bay Area, my wife and I, uh, she was from Oakland and I, I, I lived, uh, lived there since 1994. And, um, well, we, we discovered that, that, that like a huge part of the reasons why we were staying in certain places had to do with either A, the industry or B, our social lives. And the pandemic kind of annihilated that. <laughs> yeah. um, nobody is ever going to need to go. In my industry, nobody is ever going to need to go into the office anymore. I, and I'm never going to do it again. Um, and so, uh, you know, that that tether got, got eliminated. And then with the fact that we were able to communicate and, and get online with each other and get online with each other around the, around the planet, the tether that required us to be in presence to each other also evaporated. Right. And only now, today, are some of them just actually starting to, like, hang out again. And, and I mean, it's not like anything would have changed. So, we moved to Hawaii. In the middle of the pandemic. <laughs> so, why not? You know? Cool. So, where were, where were you living in the Bay Area? What city? Uh, we were in Oakland. Okay. Um, I had, um, I, when, we, um, when we started dating, she was living in Seattle, and I was in San Francisco in the Twin Peaks area. And then... Um, uh, she moved down to live with me for a while, and then we moved across to Oakland in the Lake Merritt area. Okay, so Lake Merritt. Closer yeah. to her. Cool, cool. So, uh, when you say uh, you have this, you obviously have the skills to write a program. What, what kind of job or what kind of what kind of title do you give yourself? Because I have no clue. I, I have a lot of techie friends because I live in the Bay Area. I mean, I IT people, people in software engineering, yeah. people in this and that, and I um, and they started talking. I have no clue because. You know, I'm one. I, my major was in history, and two, I'm a grocery clerk, so I'm my fingers are not in that world at all. <laughs> so it's kind of weird um, when we so talk about tech stuff. I'm like, I kind of I understand it. Cause I play video games quite a bit, but I don't get what exactly people do. So how would you consider? So um, it, your in title? the past twenty years or so, I've had different titles, right. but it's like basically been the same job. Right. And, and the title tends to change depending upon the company you work for because they have a different kind of structure. So okay. um, I used to work for a very large, very large video game company uh, whose name uh, rhymes with Schmectronic Arts. <laughs> and, um, you know, my title there was uh, Systems Architect. Okay. Um, but I don't really think I did a lot of architecture on systems. Okay. So that's a little weird. <laughs> but then my next title at the Wikimedia Foundation, uh, the people who bring you Wikipedia, right. was the senior designer. Whoa. I didn't do a lot of software writing. Or this. There were other people who did that. I just designed systems and put uh, put together things and came up with theories about like user interactions and stuff. So so in a way, I didn't really do any, any kind of wizard. I would have to write prototypes. I wrote a lot of prototypes. Huh. And then the job after that was principal UI developer, and uh, you know all up and down. So right. so uh, my current title is president. Um, <laughs> El presidente. <laughs> so what I do is I write I write code. I am what we call a generalist, which means that I write everything from top to bottom. Uh, some people say like I'm a front end engineer, or I'm a back end engineer, or I'm a database engineer, or right. whatever. They'll focus on that, and I write all of it. I've been writing all of it since since 1992 um in various degrees or another because i'm like a full service thing and i went to school for art i was going to be an artist so so all the design stuff the, the using user human factor interface kind of things i spent a lot of time thinking about why you press a button and then when i figure out why you press a button i figure out what that button actually is going to do and then i spend a lot of time focusing on that <laughs> it's it's ethereal but I make things. Right. Um, so you're perfect to. So you're a perfect kind of guy to or person to try to do this job, which you have to wear a lot of hats. I'm guessing to build this uh, a virtual tabletop because there's all kinds of stuff involved, right? Yeah. Aside from the aside from the um, from the technical standpoint of like just even writing the software, um, there's there's a whole bunch of principal ideas. You have to understand the the, the basics of. Of like, well, how is a game going to work? Because that's different from writing software for a game. It's different from writing software for a, 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 an e-commerce site or, a, you know, uh, 
even that, but, but it's really tricky to, to think about, about these types of things. Dice Weaver is more of a community okay, or intended to be more of a community than it is a virtual tabletop. The virtual tabletop is the centerpiece of it. But the idea here is not that the, the gaming aspect itself, the rolling dice is not the thing. The point is the getting around the table with your friends, the community part of it. Right. And so that's a big part of why Dice Weaver has been designed the way it is, is so that you can play it on your table or remotely. It doesn't matter. Um, it'll work on your phone. It'll work on your iPad. It'll work on your laptop. It'll work on, you know, you can project it on the wall with your TV or put it on your Apple thing and cast it. doesn't matter. It's designed to be used anywhere and any when and with any kind of situation. So maybe you have, you know, one of our tables, maybe I ever set up people come out here next couple months uh, to visit, we'll run a game and I'll have them at the table here and we'll just connect it to everybody else that's in Australia or Portland or, you know, Oakland or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the idea is to be able to be, to not be tethered to either online entirely or in person entirely. Um, we want to be able to like do it wherever and, and make, right. it, make it work. Right. Because there's, there's a lot of challenges. Yeah. There's some people uh, I know that, They'll they'll Skype somebody in because there's one person, like you said, your friend from Australia, you know, they haven't they haven't been playing or they moved out there, but they don't want to like not kick them out, but just get not get rid of that guy or that person yeah. because of distance. And so they they and it, it's a quite a bit of work. I've seen people's uh, setup and it's, you know, sometimes quite complicated to to get that done. It, it, yeah. It absolutely is. Uh we um I mean that was one of the one of the things was that we would we would try to like connect somebody remotely a long time ago, you know, by Skype, but it just didn't work out because they had their character sheet. They didn't have a character sheet or we didn't have their character sheet or they couldn't see the dice. So we couldn't see the dice. The game <laughs> we were playing was designed against that, you know, like, and so, so like you can't play like, like if you've ever played uh, FFG star Wars game, you right. know, with like, it's like a zillion dice and like, like a huge part of that experience, a huge part of that experience is moving these dice around and, and like building these pools. And remote players can't you can't interact with that, so it's just a terrible experience. So so these are my friends, and I love them. Uh, so I want them to have as much fun as I do. Right. So um, so let's set up the situation. One of the you know this instance is, is great because Dice Weaver is like, well your character sheet is stored here. Everybody has access to it, and and we never run into the thing where where a player goes, oh, I'm going to take my character home for the weekend and like fill it out and <laughs> spend their experience points. And then you never see those character sheet again. It's gone. You know, it is, if it leaves my house, it is a vortex. It's just out. So we know what you so mean. So what I can do. Yeah. yeah. So so Dice Weaver prevents that, right? Your character is all in the same place. Right. And if you want to pick it up while you're at the grocery store, standing in line and, and spend some XP, why not? Bam. <laughs> load it up on your phone. Sounds good. Uh, so our friend Kathy, oh, yeah. she leaves her character sheet with with me because her husband and her her boys lose it when they go home. So, because we just started playing again in person, and that's been yeah. one of her things from even before the pandemic was <laughs> she would leave it here because she could if she took it home she couldn't bring it back in two weeks. Well, it's funny because she got into little right. problems because that she'd go, oh, uh, you have my character sheet. And then they, somebody would pull up character sheet. Oh, no, this is when you were back when you were second level. And then they're trying to find the right one. And it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. Was, um, yeah. it was comical. Here's the one that you spilled coffee on. Exactly, like, exactly. Like, like eight months ago. Yes. yes. I don't know where it's from. And then the real character sheet is like, folded over three times and somehow was stuck inside of a different rule book. Exactly. For a exactly. So she you know, just, you'll find it sometime later. You're like, why is this called a Cthulhu book? Today? <laughs> oh, it's got it. Exactly. For a D&D game. It's funny. Cause like Jolene is very good at like, she's very, uh, I don't know, very orderly, right? She puts stuff in, in categories and stuff. So she leaves it I'm with her. I'm an accountant. So hello. <laughs> so she, so, you know, she knows where it's, you know, when she comes over, Jolene just hands her her character sheet on a clipboard and goes, oh, here's your character sheet. So it's pretty funny that that you mentioned that because you're right. When it leaves somebody's house, it's who knows where it goes. Her her son made her most recent character, and he did it out of these obscure books because the boys wanted to play Pathfinder. So she's like, okay. So he made her some weird thing, and he put it onto one of the VTT tabletops that the character sheet, right? right. 
and 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 then I go, well, she needs she doesn't she can't read it. Her tablet is not charged, so we had to run around the house trying to get stuff so she could actually see it. So she ended up printing it, but it printed like really small, and I, you know, and yeah. we're all we're all over fifty, right? And so we're except like, for the kids, except for the kids, <laughs> obviously. And she's like, I can't even read this. She, where's my magnifying glass? So it was it was a, it was a whole it was a whole ordeal. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and you know, in, in hindsight, we're laughing about these kinds of things right now, right? Right. right. Uh, because 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 they're, they're, they are part of the experience. Uh, but but it's also it is a frustrating, it's a real problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so 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 the number of times where it's been like, well, I just remember that you have a, a strength of seventeen. Good luck. You know? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> right. That's <laughs> true. very true. So, this was this was one of the one of the goals to like prevent that. Or to, to, to work against it, work against that kind of. Uh, That's very cool scenario. because that would be really nice to have everybody put their sheets on one place, and then you could, and then you'd be able yeah. to see it. So this is actually like another another part of the thing. That, like I'm I'm actually very happy with or proud of um, that we're putting together is is what we're calling like a spectator mode, and um, that like allows other people to look at your character sheets as well. Because right now the the Dicebreaker is really solidly built around privacy and protection of its users. Um, that's like a number one thing for me. And in fact, I've given speeches on four continents about designing software to prevent evil. And and so so I think about privacy a lot. I think about protection of my users a lot. I think about moderation and, and how to prevent Nazis from hanging out, right? I mean, that's like a number one problem for me. Like it's a huge problem for me in the world. And, and I think for a lot of other people is that any kind of community or social space almost immediately gets infested with uh with i, I don't need if you need to believe that or whatever but you know you know what i'm talking about and so so like a big trick is to like you know i spend a lot of time thinking about like that so so dice weaver is designed from the very beginning to be protective of you and and like how things are, are going so all things are private if you're in the tabletop like your own tabletop you can look at each other's characters and stuff um, and that's fine. I, I, I feel that that's perfectly acceptable. Everybody does it, you know. Um, I, we can write like a bunch of like software to prevent people from looking at other characters. But if you're in the table, you're in the table. The new thing that we're going to be doing is adding the ability for other people who aren't in the table to have access to the table. So the, the point here is like if you're streaming or you have a podcast about your game or, you know, you're going to put it up on Twitch or whatever, you know, the players, the people who are, who are watching that, your viewers, really only get to see the faces of people. Maybe they get, like, the top-down screen of the board or, you know, some sometimes some camera stuff. But we're really going to try to, like, set it up so that if you're streaming, you can get the URL and get in there and play around with the session as much as you want. Uh, you won't be able to have access to any private data, anything that the storyteller has said that we're not letting the players see. And you won't be able to edit anything. And you won't be able to see private messages or any kind of private stuff. And if the players themselves have all their privacy stuff cranked up, obviously you won't be able to see their stuff either. But why not be able to look at the maps that the players are using or actually read the handouts that have been given to them or roll back through the table log or look at the monster statistics or the player character sheets or anything along those lines? Why not? Within, as long as we're within this realm of, of safety, let's do it. Let's also like allow, uh, let's set up situations where, where people can, can look for groups publicly and do so in a way that they feel safe and that the content of the tabletop that they're going to join will match the kind of thing that they have expectations for. So we've developed a system of, of uh, uh, well, you know, content flags so that you don't accidentally find yourself in a game which doesn't meet your your criteria of like things that you feel comfortable with a certain degrees of violence say uh we're going to have cartoon violence and there's going to be some horror and some of this horror is going to be about a uh, mental health because we're running a cthulhu game or a dungeons and dragons game is going to have uh maybe you're going to be very gory and you're going to talk about it so let's put that flag on there we're going to talk about it gory or my games will never have sexual content I'm never going to do that. So I just put a big old never next to it. So there's the, all these things can be judged on a scale. And then the system will help you find the right kind of tabletop for you to join if you're looking for a group or allow you to tell the world the kind of players that you're looking for uh, if you wanted to, to find to find a thing. So um, we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking about that and working on that kind of aspect of it. Like I said, the community is the part of it. We want people to work together. And we want people to work together in such a way that they feel self-fulfilled 
and are able to do the types of things that like, you know, I mentioned earlier when I was younger, like build a thing with their rules and, and apply their own agency with it and, and, you know, feel better about like what's going on. Because I don't know about you, but when I find myself the worst places in my life are when I don't feel like I can do anything, like I'm completely paralyzed for whatever's happening. I could always go back to a game and I could feel like I had some sort of power over my life. Right. And that's kind of the thing that I'm trying to push forward. I'm wanting to make that happen. I believe very strongly in gratitude and I believe very strongly in uh, being kind. And I think that we can take that kind of stuff and put that into a community. And I, I think with, with you know, my understanding of how communities work and community software works, I can do that. And that's the goal. That's pretty important about, about the, what is it, the, the levels of different what, what kind of game people want to play, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of times, especially online, because people are eager to play and they'll just, they might click on this game and there's no flags or there's no, they'll have a description, a fantasy game, right? And then you, you get into this, people have different sensitivities. Like some people don't want anything to deal with like the cruelty to animals or something like that. And then other people- That's one of our flags. Yeah, and some people, you know, it's like not a big deal because they were a rancher or- or they don't mind killing animals because that was just part of the, now I'm not talking about torturing animals. That's a different thing, but, but there's yeah, different the, levels of sensitivity about stuff. The, 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 the actual flag is that we're using is called harm to animals. Oh, wow. Okay. And like, so we, for most of them, we put them on scales and they, they basically define as never off stage, which means that this, this, this kind of content can exist, but we're only going to mention that it happened off stage. Like, like, so, so say like one of them is abuse or torture, you know, we can just say the character was tortured. Right. right. We're not going to give you any details. Right. Um, and then there's a sometimes level, which is like, it's vague, you know, we may talk about it. We may not just be aware that it could be part of it. And then like a kind of like an inherent or a graphic, like absolutely this is part of the game. And, and, and then it's, it, this, it be prepared. So like a Cthulhu game would be, would be in mental health. Mental illness is an inherent part of that game. You can't. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, those are issues that are part of that story and, and you have to do it that way. But like Rogue Trader, right, will fit all these these categories if you wanted to. But your play <laughs> style can say like, you know what, we're really not going to be spending a lot of time on the on the cosmic horror thing. Right. So we're going to lower that down. But instead, we're going to we're going to ratchet this up. And then this is on top of other things that we're doing too, like you know, session zero sections and stuff. So so you can get an idea of what you're getting into before you before you get on. There. Right. Some years ago, there was like an online. Um, I guess it wasn't that long ago. Uh, game some it was pretty famous and everybody's really happy and then all of a sudden without warning the 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 storyteller decided to introduce a sexual assault and that was the impetus that i had was like that is a terrible thing to do Um, right because first off it's a very triggering concept in and of itself yeah you you have to be you you should you you should be be aware that that's the story that you're you're into so i wanted to make sure that that was okay i also wanted to make sure that kids were able to play and I wanted to make sure that their parents, who are my generation uh, and your generation, right. feel comfortable letting their kids on these things. Yeah. You know, uh, I got a great deal of value out of learning to play role playing games when I was eight, nine and ten years old. I can't imagine a universe in which I would let an eight year old kid online <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with the people I have right. without, without having complete control over. So yeah. we have a, we have a, we have a solution for that. Actually, we, we have a, a mechanism of, of managed accounts whereby there's a, there's the, the, the controlling account and then it creates that one, that account can create sub accounts or be in control of the account of other accounts. And this is not just for kids. This can be for any kind of person who, who is, you know, you want to, maybe your, your dad wants to play and he's very gullible and likes to click the wrong link. <laughs> this guy says he's going to give me $40 million. Yeah. I give him you know, uh, and he's like, you know what, dad, we're not going to let you make your own friends. We're gonna make your like that right. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's funny cause my, my son has always played even video games when he was young and, but his, his, in fact, he's 18 now. His computer is literally right next to mine and always has been. And I remember he was playing on Steam and he was playing some game. I don't even know the name of it, but you, you build your character up and you have different weapons and stuff. And at one point he just puts his head down and he starts almost crying. I'm like, what's wrong? He goes, this guy was going to trade this thing with me and he didn't trade. He just, I gave it to him and then he signed off. And he was like, 
he must have been like six or seven and i felt terrible i felt terrible I'm like and then and he, and he was just like he was holding in his you know trying not to cry and i'm like look you know and i go and i always and i always try to make a teachable moment i go you got to make sure that whatever you do you know there's people out there if you don't know them you got to learn that that some people just lie to you it, it became yeah. a good thing because it, he you know it wasn't terrible but it was terrible for him at the moment and i've, I've always felt bad yeah you're right stuff like that does happen and and you got to be and as parents and as guardians you have to be wary about stuff like that happening yeah yeah so we want to we want to set up a situation where storytellers can say i'm going to run this game i'm going to run a weekly game on tuesdays and on thursdays and if you want to join it's 15 bucks a session or 25 bucks a session or something like that or i can run your game for you in this kind of thing we're creating like sort of a storyteller economy but and that works um, if you feel like you can trust the person that you're getting involved with. And right. so then we have like, you know, we're going to have to set up a situation. We have uh, plans for um, various kinds of verification and they, they, they run like a mud. Like it's, it's actually kind of like a series of things. Like the first level is like, does this person actually exist? And you can usually tell this by the fact that they have a credit card. Okay. Right. So if they're a subscriber, that's one level of verification. We know that that person exists and there's an email address. Do they send us a photograph of themselves or like their driver's license? We This is a thing we did at, at Wikipedia for uh, certain kinds of users who had uh, access to privileged information. Like certain in Wikipedia, you can become an admin, but admins aren't actually what we would call like super privileged users. They have some abilities that, that are like they can delete pages and ban people and do some, some shit like that. Okay. But it, above and beyond that, they don't really have a lot of access. There are additional degrees of, of access. And after a certain point, it requires some some legal documentation because we need to know who you are because you're going to be dealing with people's real identities or you're going to be. And so we had like a, there was a series of like degrees of, of verification that we had for that. And I like that idea. I like the way that worked. And so we're, we're developing a similar system, which was like, OK, if you verify yourself to this degree, we'll allow these things to happen. And if you verify yourself to this degree, we'll allow these things to happen. And if you go to this degree, then we'll allow this stuff to happen. So like. If we were going to say like a random person on the world who's going to run a game that allows kids who are under the age of 17 to join it, they will have to have paid for a background check. Uh, and those are like not expensive, like, you know, but, no. but, but, but we're going to, we're not going to let you, we're not going to let just random Joe have access to your kids. And if you're, if this is your business, you're going to be willing to pay that, pay for the. A background check. check yeah my son said so when he was in fifth grade I, I was a chaperone and i did I had to go do a background check and it was not a big deal the school paid for it but uh it was really yeah. easy i mean you know they they fingerprint you and i guess they check to see if you have any any problems <laughs> criminally or whatever yeah. and uh yeah nearly, but it, nearly every time nearly every time i've had to have one done it's nearly it's almost always been are you a secret you know nazi you know, <laughs> That's really what it comes down to is like make sure that you don't have like extreme political agreement, you know, positions or like convictions for child molestation. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. So you did develop this. Uh, what's it called? Dice Weaver, right? Dice Weaver. Mm -hmm. It's more than just a VTT, like you said. You're you're talking about it's a community. It's a uh, it's a it's a gonna be. Uh, you're going to be able to, like, uh, if you wanted to charge people and stuff for yeah, DMing there'll, for there'll them? Yeah, there'll be like a marketplace. There's a marketplace, or there will be, um, for for assets and um, and for time, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, we have several plans for this, and a lot of it is actually, you know, intended to be community self-sustaining. So, so I believe very strongly in virtuous circles. A lot of my research and focus over the past 10 years or so has been about, like, creating cycles uh, that, that self-sustain themselves and do so in a positive and virtuous manner. So like, as opposed to like, say like on Twitter or something like that, where you can get an outrage machine going, where it's just people get pissed off and they just keep getting pissed off and, and it just <laughs> sort of creates this, this activity thing of just people getting mad at each other and yelling. I don't want that. I actually know uh, for a fact, um, because people did research on it, uh, that my, some of the techniques that I have about, about gratitude and expressing that do create virtuous cycles whereby you express gratitude to somebody else for a thing that they've done and then they will feel good about it continue to do the thing that they just got gratitude for which was which is a cycle in and of itself but then also they will express more gratitude to other people and we've discovered that we 
some eggheads and, and um, <laughs> I discovered that the more gratitude that you express, the more likely you are to express gratitude. But also the more gratitude expressed to you means that you are more likely to express gratitude as well. So it kind of becomes this sort of fractal uh, process of, of bringing kindness and, and, and gratitude around to, to your community. Now, this is different than something like Facebook has a like or Twitter has a heart or whatever. Right. Because those expressions aren't about if I look at your post and I like it or I heart it or I you know, give an angry face or whatever, <laughs> yeah. that's about me. That's about me. It's not about you. It's not about your content. It's about me. And that's kind of like this kind of uh, thing where it's like then becomes like this whole process of social interaction and becomes like inwardly focused. How did you make me feel? And that's not really what I think is very, I don't think that, I don't like to have my friendships and my, my collaborations be that kind of um, transactional. Uh, so instead, um, we want to focus it so that it's more about like, let me focus this back at you. So gratitude is a thing where it's like you, it's not saying I liked it. Liked it is my opinion. Right. You were helpful is a different thing to say entirely, right? I like this movie, but that movie did not help me in any way. But your uh, post about like how to make a map to this other thing was very helpful. I found it very thank th thankful. Here's this thing. And then that makes you make more posts. That makes you da -da 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 -da. And then everybody creates this, this whole thing. I've got a lot of like thoughts on this. This has been a big thing for me for a long time. Um, and I feel very strongly that, that this is an important part of any kind of, of healthy community. I have a lot of communities under my belt. That, that, in fact, if you had to say, like you asked me earlier, what was my job? In many ways, my job is actually community builder. Right, right. Or has been for, for years in some way or another. That's yeah, really pop part of business now is trying to form a community, right? Because I know people who are community managers, and that's what their job is, is try to keep people not only entertained, but also wanting to know what they want to do or or w why they're on their particular platform that they're on. So I think it's pretty yeah. interesting. And I think your your take on gratitude is very true because I you know I play a lot of first person shooters who which are notorious for being terrible places to to hear people talk. And oh, yeah. I play on a on a particular server. I'm always saying, Hey, good shot. That was a good shot to the my enemy. And then what happens yeah. is they'll start saying thank you. And just like you said, they'll say thank you, and they'll, and then the room will change, or the the not the room, but the, the attitude will change. Yeah, the attitude will change. People are saying, "Oh, that was a good shot." You know, some people still be angry and still be mad that they didn't miss or, or that they missed. And but I think you're right. I think if you just you know garner this positive attitude, you're gonna get a positive feedback from everybody else. Yeah, some some years ago uh, we did this, but as a, you know, I don't know, corporate companies, you know. Group activities right. and stuff, and we did this, this thing adventure in San Francisco where it was like a scavenger hunt. We all divided into teams and sent off on this thing, and um, we had a blast. My team had a blast, and we won. Yeah, I, I mean, and no humble. I mean, <laughs> we won the thing. Um, but 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 later on, you know, I, I spent some time analysis analyzing that because when we got back there, we all grouped back up. We turns out that us and another team were the only ones who actually played it. Everybody else just hated it. And they just they got bored and they got sick and they got hated it. And then it was like when we started talking about it and like finding out we did this this postmortem, like what went wrong? You know, why did we have such a great time and everybody else didn't? Right. And uh, and the answer was because they had like what I would call poison pill. Everybody every one of those other teams have one person out there who did nothing except talk about the entire experience. Talk bad about the entire experience. Right. And and so all they did was just lower the morale of the room right. or their group yeah. until everybody else had this low morale thing. And this is what you're talking about. Like you say, nice shot. You're increasing the morale. You just shot me in the head, man. That sucks. But that was a great shot. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. not even mad. You know? And so so even then, it's like, it's not even saying I like, it's like saying good for you. It's not, I can call it gratitude, but it's a compliment. Right, right. It's like acknowledging, it's acknowledging your skill set and granting you respect. Uh, in a way that not demanding approach. Yeah, exactly. Pretty exactly cool. That kind Pretty of cool stuff. Uh, so how, you've been working on this dice weaver for well, you've been working on tools on this for a long time, but you, this idea to get everything together because uh, you said was kind of formed by the pandemic. So you've been at it for two years, you say? I think I've been at this actively. Like it was a period of time before we decided to form the company. 
And by, by we, I mean my wife and I. Right. Um, there was a period of time before we did that. And so that was, uh, I think it started in the summer of 2020. And it wasn't when we started to form the company. That was when I started writing this thing. And it was just basically like a set of tools that we could like play games together. And then, you know, I had to write this and I had to write that and I had to write this and I had to write that. And then the, uh, then we moved to Hawaii and, and by the end of 2020 though, I was like, you know what, maybe I should make a go of this. Maybe I should actually try to product this. Uh, and so then over the course of the next several months, I kept, you know, working on it. I, I couldn't work on it for a longer time. Like I probably get like 10 hours a week in it because I had no job. Right. And then finally it reached this point we've been playing for six months. And one of my players was like, you know what? You need to stop polishing your Camaro and just do this. This is what you're doing. I have this tendency to like keep fiddling with for years and years and years. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. No uh, worries. Keep... No worries. I'm just writing down every, uh, every... I, I said there's now there's four bleeps. <laughs> <laughs> I have this tendency to just keep fiddling with stuff forever, you know, like, oh, this one thing is a pixel off, you know, and then, but eventually somebody has to say, just, just do it, create the forcing function and make it happen. So, so that decision happened. And then we uh, spent some time putting the, the, the world in order and, and prepared for it. And then in November, we, you know, I quit my job and we started formally founded a company and got some investors and we're going to have a Kickstarter soon. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, make a go of it. I mean, that's the, that's the goal. There's about, uh, there's me and my wife and I've got an intern and then there's another developer who works part time people who come in and out for various other cool you you talk about the fiddling part i think uh i think i've heard the same thing about uh almost any artist right they they, like especially musicians they always you know they always are tinkering with a song or something until they until they just like they have to let go of it right because nothing's ever going to be perfect to them because that's part of being an artist is that you're always trying to improve it is a in the craft, in every craft I've ever done, there's a point where you just go good enough. Because yeah. it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I can always optimize my code smaller. I can always optimize it faster. And I can always lose entire weeks in it doing that. Yeah. But you're never going to notice that I did that. The only person that's ever <laughs> going to notice it is me. And so so then, then it becomes kind of this sort of like self-reflective, I don't know. Yes, it is very much a thing to get lost in your details. That's, that's actually probably my biggest, my biggest problem. But in this universe right now, I have a product that I don't have to release until I feel ready for it. And that is one of the best things. We're not under a pressure of a corporation. And that's one of the functions of the way Dice Weaver was built. It was designed in such a way that we're not beholden to shareholder value. Right. And so that means that we're never going to share your information. Again, we come back to the privacy policy, protecting your users. We don't have ads. We don't have third-party trackers. We don't have any kind of things violating your privacy in any way. There's no logging of your activity. And and we keep it as, as quiet. I mean, I've even gone to the point where I'm not even loading code from what's called a common uh, repository. It's it's a caching system to make things faster for you. Because that person will have access to the fact that you access the site. So I'm, I'm, I'm very tight on that. We're very, 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 very tight. And what, when you get to the point where you don't have to, when you're not taking money from advertisers, when you're not doing this third party thing, where your customers are not the product, uh, it, it opens up a whole different universe for what you're capable of doing. I can choose to not do what's considered to be best business practice with finger quotes around that simply because it doesn't fit the vision that I want to make. I don't want to sell your data. I don't ever want to do that. And in fact, I've actually set it up so it's not possible for me to do that legally. If we were an S corp or a standard kind of corporation, so I think it could eventually become a thing. Like if the shareholder value becomes a thing where, uh, you know, the only way to make money out of the company is to sell your data, I have to legally do it. So I've set up a situation where I don't have to do that, where I can't do that. And and so that's that's another thing. It changes some some money numbers a little bit <laughs> i can't i can't throw ads up but uh at the same time i feel prouder of it right and i feel i feel i feel i feel it's more dignified i feel like i'm treating everybody with dignity better than than uh than just demanding that they do things the way that i want them to do things so that i can make money off them because i'm not wealth motivated never have been so that's not why we're doing this 
Right. Especially the, the tact you're coming from. It's like, it, you know, it is like almost a lot of people who create stuff. It's just a labor of love and they just want to share it out there. And, and they'll take the, uh, sure, if people want to pay them some money, but sometimes it's not part of it. They just want to just share what they've created. Exactly. And that's, that, that is you, what you've come down to is actually what I'm trying to, what the point of the community that I'm wanting to build is I have a bunch of maps that I think are pretty <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. A bunch of maps that I think are pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, so I want other people to use them. I want people to play with them. I want people to, to have access to them. And so I can just put them up on the internet or I can put them up on a, a, on a, on an online store and somebody can pay $2 to download it and maybe they'll use it. Maybe they won't. And right. I'm going to make $2 minus 30% <laughs> or whatever else I'm getting out of that. And that's fine. But what if there was a situation where, where you, I could put my maps up and anybody could download them, easily find them for free and, and, and do whatever I, I, first off, I'm going to take free with more users over one user with $2 any day. But regardless of that, you know, maybe you want to make money. Maybe I develop a token set, like a bunch of different cool little monster tokens. And I can put that up there on the marketplace and, um, you know, and sell it five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever. Uh, Dice Weaver, of course, takes the standard 30% cut because that's the way these things work. Uh, But I, you know, again, I don't care. Or, Enroll it into some into the into this this asset program that we're designing, whereby anybody who has a certain degree of a subscription, for the most part, can check those assets out and use them in their in their session. Like I'm going to download this map and use it for my team, you know, for for a while, and then you get paid for it. It's not a lot. It's a microtransaction, but it's all collated over time. So if you build like a set of assets or a collection of things that are just really cool and everybody wants to use them and everybody downloads them, well then you're going to get bank. Because the way the way that that's going to work is 10% of the subscription fees every month go into this big pot, and then people who have stuff enrolled in this program will then get the share of that pot according to usage. So if there's a lot of subscriptions, 10%, and everybody's using your thing, that can be real money in a very short period of time. Uh, so so it's a way to like take like hobbyists and stuff to actually get gratitude to come back into their their things. Like okay, well, we're going to like make it easier for you to share your work and for other people to collaborate on it. Maybe you put it up there for free, maybe you don't, whatever. Um, but other people get to use it and, and make it easy to use and, and one-stop shop it. Right. Of course, right. you take your stuff from anywhere and bring it in there, I don't, I'm, whatever, you know, I'm not, I'm very anti-exclusive licenses. So I'm not a fan of things like where if you buy this product, this PDF from me, you can only use it on my site. I think that's right. garbage. Yeah. So, so we're not, we're not, we're not building it that way. That said, there are some things that we have to do for like, if somebody else puts up a thing that's copyrighted by them and then you sort of get a copy, a copy of it, you know, for use here, you can't steal that and take it. Someplace. Right, I mean, we right. have to do a lot. It's pretty, pretty standard. Cool. I think I'm out of my questions. Uh, do you have anything to comment <laughs> about, uh, about your product or about uh, anything that you want to add is something we missed? Oh, and when uh, the Kickstarter? I think that, I think Oh yeah, maybe a Kickstarter um, well, forecast. We keep moving the time around. Now. <laughs> uh, uh, it happens. The, um, it happens. It happens. It's not. It's not because the product's later. In, I mean, the product. The product is taking as long as it takes because I'm fiddling with it. Right. Uh, but it's basically done, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you saw it. Uh, yeah, it looks really neat. I, right. I must yeah. say that Brandon and uh, and Damon, his friend, uh, they they were showing me how it worked, and it it looked really neat. I mean, it was. It looks uh, a lot. Uh, what is it? The uh, I try to use a, a technical terms. The UI, the user interface, looked really neat. It looked very. Uh, I don't know what would you call it when it's just easy to use. Very not simple, but slick is a good word. <laughs> we all, we all like. But it wasn't like it was. It didn't seem fiddly simple. to me, or it didn't seem obscure. User friendly. User friendly. That that user friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that's a big part of it, right? Is um is is intentional design. Right. So there were a lot of decisions that were made from from the very outset. The first the first designs had everything in these flyouts. Like I was like, here's this map. Let's just make the map the whole thing. Um, and then then as we got along, you know, as we tested things or we thought about things or, or learned stuff, certain things became very clear. Like for instance, chat has to be visible all the time. You right. cannot ever hide that. It has to have a zero affordance cost. And and so like these types of things, like we're we're gonna analyze every action. Like okay, looking up a character sheet is a is a uh, is what we call a um, a short term, you know, access and drop. 
So it's like, I'm just going to look up what my armor class is. That's like two seconds worth of effort, or it should only be two seconds worth right. of effort. Um, but in some, in some cases it's not, you know, in some, in some software, it's going to be forever for you to find that information. And so we just like, well, let's find things and make, make the things that you want to do easy to do. And the things that are less common, harder to do, not harder to do, let's not say hard, not as easy to do, I guess, you know, that was a big part. And I like the idea that you could just bring in any system you want to even make up your own, which I thought was like brilliant. (laughs) um we've got uh i I actually just finished writing like a big part of this that that code like last week um it is now possible for anyone to create any game they want and any and do anything a card game i think is probably going to be a problem because i don't have like kind of like a kind of a card widget and i'm working on a kind of a dark dice pool widget so those games are going to be a little bit more complicated but any other standard game that can be already constructed yeah that's pretty Um, cool and I'm, i'm trying to find a i'm kind of working with a guy to like He's building a bunch of different tabletops and, and designs for me. Cool. You know, another thing that I had was a spell tab that I had to work on. Not spell tab, a multi-view auto-filtering <laughs> data list. Sounds good. Well, I mean, spells are, the, the, a spell a spell concept is the best way to think about it. Okay. Right? You have a you have a list of spells. Your spell book is this giant list of spells. Right. right? Um, and there's multiple ways that you can look at that. Uh, but nearly always, it's a character sheet that you have scribbled down in every single thing. And good luck if you ever have to sort it or do whatever. But in but in our case, it's like a, you know, it's a date. It's it's data. It's format. Right. So so like you have multiple views into. You want to have multiple views into these things. This is what I'm saying. A view of all your spells. A view of your cantrips. A view of your first level spells. And then it's also got to be smart because as you get higher level, right, you're going to have fewer high level spells. Like all of a sudden you have like three six level spells and a seventh level spell. Do each one of those get their own tabs? It's got an entry of value of one. Like, why does it even have a tab? Let's put it in with this other one. Make right. it have called high level spell. That sort of a thing is the kind of the, the, the thought that goes into this. Right. And you can uh, individually set up these things for your specific game. We're only going to put these tabs on here or whatever. Or I'm trying to like divine design sort of algorithms that will be smart about it and say like, okay, your favorite spells are these spells or your favorite weapon is this weapon. And we're just going to, for you know push that up there so i do a lot of thought about that do a lot you do a lot of thinking (laughs) about about a bunch of different stuff there (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean a lot of this is also stuff i've been thinking about for a long time right right uh uh, uh, the 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 core technology behind what makes dice weaver work is something that i've been working on or a a principal idea that i've been working on since i want to say 2010 um which is sort of like a an easy to configure, easy to use uh, system where you can create your own kind of thing. Like, and it was, it was this idea was like for Wikipedia a million years ago, uh, which never took off, but it was like kind of a structured way to do uh, conversations and, 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 and collaboration. And uh, I never wrote anything after that that needed anything that heavyweight um, until I got here. And now I get, get, this, get to use this technology. Right, it's pretty much done, but it was a yeah. lot of work. I mean, uh, I can't, I can't yeah. even imagine, you know, how much time you spent on this and stuff like that. And now that you got a little bit of help, that's pretty cool. So uh, you're feeling pretty good about everything. Do you have any kind of timetable when you might go to Kickstarter? I mean, is it like six I months, think a year? Kickstarter's going to happen either at the end of this month or the beginning the oh, middle wow. of May. So, so real um, recent. I mean, real close. Soon. Yeah, uh, well, uh, there's some there's some things like we want to um, one of the rewards, the basic reward, the lowest level tier is a bunch of access keys and tokens, um, so you can just get in and, play, and start playing immediately. Um, and you can do that now. It's just that the only games you can play are like these three different these three different games that we've had we've got fully fleshed out, and that's like Fate and uh, Rogue Trader and a D and D thing that's like only about halfway done. So we get all that finished. We got D and D is basically a big locker thing. Even though we do not expect that Dungeons and Dragons is going to be our big, the biggest game, because they're, it's difficult to enter that market for D and D. Right. So, a huge part of this thing is to actually try to pick up all the other markets. Right. Um, and make it really because because again we come back to intentional design about about the way things work. So like most games, are not play mat combat oriented. Yeah. Most games are investigative theater of the mind, uh, documented. Uh, they, they, they focus on that. Puzzle boxes and problem solving and role playing over the theatricality of, of combat. 
So a big part of the design here is to actually move away from focusing entirely on the combat thing. Right. And so we're focusing on, on these other kinds of games. We want to do things like, you know, Tales from the Loop or Things from the Flood or uh, Blades in the Dark, all these other kinds of like more modern, less crunchy yes. uh, kinds of kinds of ways. Of <clears throat> right. Fate right. was the first one that we did for that. And that worked out for cool. us really well. Well, well, you know, uh, as always, when I do interviews, I, I come out knowing so much more about stuff that I didn't know about before. Uh, every, every, every single person, whether they're RPG creator or, or you, you know, or artist and stuff like that, uh, it's amazing. That's why we like doing interviews. Uh, we appreciate your time uh, mm -hmm. talking to us and and just. Do you want to say anything lasting? You know, I don't know if you have a 30-second elevator pitch or just something you want to say to the, the people that listen to our podcast as uh, we close uh, out this I, I just I, I just want everybody to, to remember that there's only one thing that you get to take with you in the rest of your life, and, that, and that, that's how you, kind you are to everybody. Money is meaningless. You don't, you don't carry it with you at the end. That's the way I think about things. Wise words. And kindness the, and courage. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's pretty amazing that you have that passion that comes through you, and and that's what you're trying to build. You're trying to, like you said, you're trying to build a a, a kind community, and I think that's a worthwhile <laughs> effort. That's that's pretty. That's that's the goal. That's pretty the cool. kind community. All right, Brandon. So we're gonna finish off this uh, episode. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul, Angeline, and, and thank Brandon. you, and Brandon. <laughs> have a great day. Thank you very much. <laughs>